All right, Luke chapter 12. Uh, today we're going to be studying together verses 1 to 12. Luke 12, verses 1 to 12. Let's read. Hear the word of the Lord. In the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light. And what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body. And after that, have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you should, what you ought to say. Let's pray. Father, we need your help today. We need your Holy Spirit to help us. Father, you know my heart and you know the distractions of my heart. You know the, the shortcomings and the sins of my heart. How desperately, deeply I need you. Father, and I know that I am no different than anyone who is here. We all need you without exception. Our need is so deep that we don't know how deep the need is. But you know and you have a perfect supply of grace. Your, your grace is more than all of our sin. Your spirit is enough to help us. He is able to open our eyes and to open our ears and to open our hearts. And we pray that this would be his work today that He accomplishes for Your glory. Father, give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus so that we trust only You and all of our fears are put to death. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Opposition was rising against Jesus. We have been seeing it in the, the last few paragraphs that we have studied in Luke chapter 12. We know that Jesus, no matter what the cost was going to be, would not turn aside from the task that God had given him to accomplish. He would go to Jerusalem. He had his face set on Jerusalem and he would arrive there and he would go even unto death. He would accomplish God's will, God's purpose. Jesus wants us to know, He does not hide it, that following Him is also going to be costly for us, 
following God's will, being obedient to God, would cost the Son His life. And it will cost us also. Even if we don't die, even if we are not hung up on a cross, we are all called to bear the cross all the way to glory. So even if we don't die because of persecution, we will still suffer. Following Jesus Christ is going to be costly in this life. But Jesus also wants us to know that we must not give in to our fears at what we might suffer at the hands of this world. But rather, we must fear God and not be frightened by anything. God has given to us His Spirit. And He will take care of us in the heated moment of persecution and all of our lives long unto glory. He has not only given us life for the world to come, but He is sustaining us and He will keep us all this life long. When you put your trust in Jesus Christ, assuming you have put your trust in Jesus Christ for salvation, you didn't sign up for the charmed life, the comfortable life. The life that you signed up for is a costly and a difficult life. And I I wish, cheap word, but I do wish that the church had not blown it so often in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with those who are lost. Because so often the way that the gospel gets presented to those who are in need is that it's simply going to be an advantageous life. Not only in the world to come, but also here. That things will just be better for you. And what the lost, what is hidden often from the lost is the truth of the suffering that Jesus Christ calls us to. The truth about denying yourself and taking up your cross and following Him always no matter what the cost is. But is this your life? The costly life? The cross-bearing life? It's the only Christian life that there is. This is what Jesus calls us to. Again, not to fear, but to trust God. Let's read verse 1 again. In the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trampling one another... He began to say to his disciples first, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. This was a moment of courage for Christ. Let me remind you why. Um, in the, the, the few paragraphs previous, which was not long in time, remember Jesus Christ had healed a man who had had a demon. Christ cast the demon out, And the man who had been rendered mute by the demon was able to speak. And this great crowd that was on hand began to test him. One group said that uh, they decided by what they saw that Jesus' power actually came from the devil. They attributed the power of the Holy Spirit to the prince of demons. You cast out demons, they said, by the prince of demons. And so they tested him. There was another group that was not convinced one way or another by what Jesus was doing and simply demanded more. We want more signs. We want more evidence. If we're going to side with the religious leaders against you or we're going to decide with your disciples for you, give us more signs, give us more evidence. So Jesus then called on the people. 
to have that true, sound, healthy spiritual perception with which to see Him for who He is. And He said, be careful lest the light that you claim to have actually be darkness. We must see Him and we must recognize Him for who He is. This was followed by a Pharisee coming up to Jesus and inviting Him over for a meal. And so Jesus took this opportunity, so much for a nice, you know, relaxing evening or a dinner party. Jesus took that opportunity to rip the cover off of the pharisaical facade and expose the inner darkness of the religious establishment. Not surprisingly, they did not repent. They were furious that Christ would expose them like this And so from then on, they are lying in wait for an opportunity to entrap Christ. They are determined to bring him down. And so that's when we come into chapter 12. That's the context. So it says, in the meantime, Jesus leaves there. There's a great crowd waiting him. It's been growing all all day long. Now it numbers in the thousands. And okay, sometimes Jesus is subtle, right? With his message. He, he, he speaks truth sometimes subtly. It's hidden behind parables and such, you know, but not here. It's like Jesus says, you see those guys right there? The religious leaders, we got the Pharisees and we got the scribes. You see them? Everybody, you see them? Hypocrites. Every last one of them. Not very subtle. And you can imagine how they would have been infuriated. But he says to us, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Leaven is a a substance that's like yeast that makes dough rise. And just a little bit of it, like yeast, is going to, to make the whole thing rise. It affects the whole thing just a little bit, just a pinch of it. In the Bible... Very often, leaven is a symbol for sin. Because like leaven and like yeast, a little sin affects the whole. And that's what Jesus is warning us about with hypocrisy. He says, just a little hypocrisy in the heart will thoroughly corrupt you. Remember what Jesus said in chapter 11. For those of you who were here, remember that He said that The God who made the outside made the inside too. He was saying all that you are belongs to Him. But you have just a little hypocrisy in your heart and it corrupts the entire thing. Everything good that you would ever do is corrupted if you have but a little hypocrisy. Those who are hypocritical wanting to maintain their outward religion offer nothing that is true worship to God. They are distant in their hearts from God, but they want to draw near with their lips, Jesus said. And all that is is sin on top of sin. A hypocritical heart, a dead heart, is a damnable heart. And it goes for the entire being. A little hypocrisy in the heart affects the entire being. One of the things about hypocrites is that they're people pleasers, right? They, they, 
Their, their foremost passion, we were saying last week, is appearance. That's what the, the hypocrite cares about. The, the outward, what people see. They want, um, they want to be regarded well. They want acclaim. They want to be exalted. So the temptation in this carrying on with outward religion and people pleasing and all of that, the temptation would be to go with the crowd. The temptation would be to go with the Pharisees. And Jesus knows that if we're going to be true, that if we're going to have not only outward religion, but the inward light of Christ, that we are going to be opposed from many who are religious and from the world also. Jesus' followers are going to be opposed in this world. And that's why He says next, that's why He warns us about hypocrisy. He says nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. I do think that it's would be easy to misunderstand what Jesus is saying here, here and, and going in a direction that he does not intend. So I want to say, first of all, what I don't think he's saying. I don't believe that Jesus is saying that every last thing that you have done, sinful thing that you have done in private, is going to be exposed at the judgment. I don't think that's what he is saying. Let me explain. The Bible promises in the book of Micah, and this is just one example, that God, in forgiving us, buries our sins in the depths of the sea. So I do not believe that God is going to dig up from the sea, speaking metaphorically, of course, every last uh, sin that we have committed in private for all to know. That would not be putting our sin as far as east is from west. That would not be remembering our sins no more, etc. So I don't believe that, that that's what Jesus is saying. I know that you have sinned in private. We sin in public and we sin in private. All of us. And who has not repented of the sin that we have committed in public and committed in private? We have repented of both. This is what the Lord is saying. And if you think, okay, well, that makes it easy. It doesn't make it easy. This is what Jesus is saying. Who you are will be known. At the judgment on the last day, who you are really will be known. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Are you truly what you appear? Are you truly within, in your heart, what you appear? What does your mind search out in your private moments? Let me ask you some questions. Please hear them. Please apply them. Where do you love for your mind to go? Where do your eyes go when no one else sees? What do you love to see? Where does your heart love to linger? What are your true pleasures? We all have sin. Every one of us has sin. But what pleases you? What really truly pleases you in the dark? Do you cry out to God to search you and to know your heart? 
to try you and to know your thoughts? Do you pray that He would see if there is any grievous, wicked way in you and lead you in the way everlasting? Is that the cry of your heart? Search me. Know me. See if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Is that the true cry of your heart? Who you are, truly, to your judgment or to your reward, will be revealed on the last day. It is not too late for you to turn to Jesus Christ and be saved. Today is the day of salvation. But let us be clear that tomorrow is not guaranteed. Now again, if you are true to Christ in this world, it is going to cost you. It will cost you. Jesus was feeling the heat of opposition and He wants all of His followers to to know and to take to heart that we're going to face the fires of opposition ourselves as long as we are faithful to Christ. And so He says in verse 4, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who can kill the body, who do kill the body. And after that, have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear Him who, after He is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear Him. Jesus is saying, don't be afraid of your enemies. All they can do is kill you. Really? That's it? You know, they can just kill us? Not that big of a deal? Jesus is being serious. And this is a perspective that we all desperately need to have. That there is only so much that the world can do. There is coming a day when they're not going to be able to raise a finger for or against us. Please do not fear the world's bad opinion, which is getting worse every single day. And don't hold in high esteem the world's good opinion of Christians and of the church. The person who who highly favors the world's good opinion is going to fear the world's bad opinion. We can't think too high or too low of what the world thinks of us because there's only so much the world can do. Only so much the world can do for you. Only so much the world can do against you. This is not trivial. It's just true that one day there won't be another peep that comes out of the world. Not a peep of praise or persecution. There's only so much that the world can do. And if you are with the world, where are you going to be then? If you are with the world, what are you going to have then? The Bible says, Jesus says, this is the one you must fear. It is God. God who will inflict His wrath on the unbeliever at the last day and will never, ever relent of it. He will never, ever relent. I realize, and you realize too, that this is not preached or taught very much in the church today. But this is what the Bible says. The Bible, which is the Word of God. And this will never change. No matter how much the times change. No matter how much people's tolerance changes. This is the truth. Our holy God has appointed a day of judgment and a day of wrath. And it is only the beginning. His wrath will never be relieved from those who don't believe. And that's why we must hear Jesus' warning. 
Jesus doesn't say things twice for nothing. He says, yes, I tell you, fear Him. That was verse 5. It's a rather frightening verse. But, well, Jesus does mean for us to fear God. But He does not want us to be frightened. We fear God because He is perfectly holy. Because He has all authority. Because He is the rock and all His ways are perfect. He is the God who searches our hearts. Our hearts are naked and exposed before this God to whom we do give account. And so we fear this God. We fear Him because He is a consuming fire. Old and New Testament say. But we aren't frightened by a thing because He loves sparrows. That's what Jesus says. He says, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. When we think of who our God is in His supreme holiness and authority, in His perfect knowledge and power, inestimable power, we fear. We fear. But only unbelievers flee. So we tremble, but we don't flee. The world flees. And we are not frightened by anything. Because this God, who has all authority and searches your hearts down to the deepest, darkest corners, loves sparrows. Because He loves sparrows. We have on our porch for the second spring in a row, uh, a wren nest. It's in a planter that's on uh, the railing of our porch. And um, there's three, I think, little wren eggs in, inside this nest. And um, I love bird watching, love birds. Um, most of you know that. So this is cool. I get to share it with the kids and, and they love it. Um, eager to see the babies and all of that. Make sure we don't get, you know, dive bombed by Mama Wren. Uh, I think she'll do it. But anyway, I think there's three. I, I, I looked. I didn't look super close to see if, you know, there was one hidden or anything. I think there's three. God knows the exact number. Well, that's a given because just God knows everything. But that's, that's not what Jesus is saying. God knows because God is on the watch. Because God cares. Because of His great love for all that He has made. God is on the watch. How much more you? How much more you? Listen. You can misunderstand the love of God. You, you can, you can decide that God's love is something that it isn't. You can, you know, portray or project onto God some kind of worldly, erotic, romantic, whatever kind of love that God's love isn't. You can distort the love of God, but you cannot overstate the love of God. You can't overstate it. You can't, you can't measure it. You can't imagine it. We are to know this love that passes knowledge. When you know the love of God, that 
passes knowledge, fear dwindles. When your knowledge of God's love grows, fears correspondingly dwindle. As First John says, perfect love casts out fear. There is no fear in love because fear has to do with judgment. So there is the fear of God that is reasonable and required of us where we tremble before Him. But we're not frightened. We're not fleeing. We're not cowering. Because this God who loves the sparrows cares for us so much more. Infinitely more. However good and sure you think the love of God is, it's better than that. However good you think it is, it's better than that. What's the value of a single wren egg? But not one is forgotten. What's the value of a single hair? Those of you who have lots wouldn't value them like some of us. But what's the value of a single hair? And yet each is numbered. However good and sure you think God's love is, it's better than that. The Bible says that His people are His possession. I I don't think that people, especially those people who believe in the, the fundamentals of the Bible, who love old-time religion and so on, and who aren't afraid to speak of the wrath of God, I don't think that we realize that we are God's prized possession. And that is the truth. We are, we are Christ's reward. Paul prayed. He said, I pray that the, the eyes of your hearts would be enlightened so that you would know of a number of things. He said, I pray that you would know what is the wealth of God's inheritance In the saints. What is the wealth of God's inheritance in you? In us, His people. We are His prized possession. This knowledge casts out fear of the world. God is going to take care of you. He's not only going to take care of you on the day of judgment, but He's going to take care of you on Monday. Believe it or not, even Monday, which of course tomorrow is a holiday, and I have Mondays off, so, <laughs> but most of you will, or a good many anyway, will hear the alarm on Monday morning and groan. God knows every sigh and He knows every tear. He has numbered all of your breaths and all of your thoughts and all of your Mondays. God knows and He does care and He will bring you through. We who believe in the sovereignty of God know that God is the one who arranges all of our sighs. God's the one who arranges for all of our tears. And by those sighs and tears, not despite them, but by them, God is bringing us to glory. He's going to care for us on the day of peace and He's going to care for us on the day of pain, even persecution pain, so we don't have to fear. Don't fear the world's good opinions. Don't fear the world's oppositions because if you are going to be with Christ one day, you must live with Him in this day. If you're going to be with Christ in glory, you must live for Him. Pursue holiness without which no one will see the Lord, it says in Hebrews. So Jesus promises. He gives us a promise and then He gives us a warning in verses 8 and 9. He says, I tell you, 
Everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. There's our promise. And now the warning. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. You know, if you're one of those people that goes with the popular sentiment about God, whatever the opinion is, the prevailing opinion about God is, you are going to confess Jesus today. Because the popular sentiment in this room is for him. But if that's why you confess him today, if you are for him today because that's the popular opinion of him, then when and where the sentiment swings, when the opinion shifts to against him, then you will be against him too. We must realize the difference between a cultural Christian and a convictional Christian. The difference is that today, this Lord's Day, across the South in what we call the Bible Belt, thousands upon thousands, millions upon millions of people are confessing Jesus. but thousands upon thousands and maybe even millions of those are cultural Christians. They're confessing Jesus today because in the Bible Belt, that's the thing that we do. The difference between a cultural Christian and a convictional one is that the convictional Christian confesses Jesus always, no matter what. I don't want us to lose our religious freedoms, which really are coming under increasing threat. But at the same time, I am ready for this cultural Bible Belt Christianity to die. Because cultural Bible Belt Christianity never saved a single soul. And it has deceived sinners by the millions. It has. Cultural Christianity does not save. But for those who are convictional Christians, from the heart, regenerated and trusting in Christ, on that day in glory, Jesus Christ will confess each one of them before the angels of God claiming us as His own. In verse 10, Jesus says, Everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Would you continue to look down at your Bible? Look down at the text. You can see by quick comparison, that verse 10 amplifies verses 8 and 9. In verse 9, we have this warning that those who deny Jesus in this life will be denied. And that corresponds to the warning in the second part of verse 10 that those who blaspheme against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. You can see how they correspond together, how they are parallel. Now, In verse 8, we have a promise, and 
the beginning of verse 10, we also have a promise. The promise in verse 8, again, being that those who acknowledge Jesus in this life will be acknowledged in glory. And that promise is quite different from the promise that we find in the first part of verse 10, which says that those who speak a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. So, a little bit confusing here. What we need to understand is the difference between speaking a word against Jesus, which will be forgiven on the one hand, and denying him and blaspheming the Holy Spirit, which will not be forgiven, on the other hand. We need to understand the difference. One offense is forgivable, and one is what we call the unforgiven sin. I think that it comes down to this. The nature of the offense and the nature of the offender. First of all, the nature of the offense. In a moment, under pressure from the world or in a moment's temptation, someone might speak a word against Jesus. And let's be honest. Let's be real. Who hasn't? Sadly, really, who hasn't spoken a word against Jesus? Any word that you speak that misrepresents him is against him. So if we really want to boil it down, you speak grumbling and complaining. Are you not speaking a word against the Son of Man? Jesus says the sin will be forgiven. Blaspheming the Spirit is altogether different. And we have a very fitting example of what that looks like in the previous chapter. In that group of people who witnessed this miracle of Jesus, him casting out the demon from the man who had been rendered mute, they decided, based on this sign, that the light that was in Jesus is actually darkness. They put him in league with the devil. They attributed the power of the Spirit to Satan himself, prince of demons. That is blaspheming the Spirit. There's a difference. Speaking a word against Jesus and denying Him. Speaking a word against Him in a moment of temptation, in a moment under pressure, and denying Him from deep down. Calculated. Coming to a resolution about who He is and claiming that what you see in Him is not light, but darkness. You can see a difference in the nature of the offense. And I need to bring something else up very quickly also. Ryan mentioned this to me uh, yesterday or day before. That the thought of many, and this may come from the Catholic Church, I don't know, this thought might be hundreds of years old, that the, the unforgivable sin would be suicide. That's not the case. I don't have any time to talk about suicide. But that's not the case. That's not what Jesus says here. Um, need to talk about that, obviously, but hey, you'll have to ask me afterward because we don't have the time right now. Um, not only do we need to consider the nature of the offense, but to understand the difference between speaking a word against Jesus and denying him and blaspheming the Holy Spirit, we also need to consider the nature of the offender. So, perfect example of this would be the case of Peter denying Jesus versus Judas who betrayed him. 
When Peter realized that he had denied Jesus when the rooster crowed, as Jesus predicted, he wept bitterly and he ran from the scene of the crime. And where did he run? He ran to the Lord. Spiritually speaking, he ran back to the Lord. Where was he found next? He was found in the upper room with the other disciples. They were hiding locked behind locked doors because of fear of the Jews. But he's with the disciples because his allegiance hasn't shifted. And when word comes that the tomb has been found empty, he runs with John desperately to see if that's the case. Because denying Jesus is not who Peter was. Not deep down. He ran to the Lord. And of course, we know the Lord restored him on that Galilean beach not long after. Judas Iscariot also realized his sin, that he had betrayed an innocent man. He ran from the scene of his crime, and where did he go? Not to the disciples, but he went back to the religious establishment, looking for some kind of atonement for his sin. He did not turn to God. He did not give his life to God. Rather, he gave himself to the darkness, took his life in his hands, and killed himself. And he did that because that's who he was deep down. So, simply considering the nature of the offenses and the nature of the offender, we can understand more of what it means to enter into that sin not forgiven. Let's go to our last two verses where Jesus reassures us. He says, And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Jesus is not saying that in the heated moment of opposition, we can expect new revelation from God by His Spirit. That's not what He is saying. Rather, He is saying that we can count on the fact that the Spirit who is who is within us will help us no matter the hour, no matter the heat. He will help us to confess Christ to any crowd and proclaim His glory to the nations. He is saying that we can count on the fact that we are never alone. I know that truth, and I know that you know that truth, but do you count on that truth that you are never alone? I know that I don't count on it as I ought to, and I know that you don't count on the truth that you are never alone as you ought to either. And here's the simple test. How many opportunities have you had to share the gospel of Jesus Christ that you have squandered? You knew that person needed the gospel and needed to hear it desperately from you, and you squandered the opportunity. You just let it go. You gave in to whatever fear or you tried to justify it. You gave yourself excuses. But you let an opportunity go. We're all guilty. You know why? Because we are not counting on the truth that we are never alone. We are not counting on the truth that the Holy Spirit, the power of God, the personal presence of God is within us always to help us. We are not counting on the truth that He will help us to speak the word of truth to speak it clear and to speak it bold and use it in their lives. We must remember and we must believe. Little children, the Bible says, you are from God 
and you have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. I thank God. I have, I, this is not what I thank the Lord for. I have squandered a lot of opportunities. These last couple weeks, I have been given the opportunity to share Christ with men I know who are lost. And by the Spirit's help, I took advantage of those opportunities. And this past week, I was able to share the gospel with a lost man. And I shared the gospel more earnestly and more clearly than I can ever remember sharing the gospel with someone one-on-one. And I know, I know when my, my mind is scrambling for the, the right truth in the right order. You know what I mean? And I, I know when it's coming from my heart earnestly and clearly and not from me. And that's what I strongly sensed this past week as I shared the gospel with this individual. The Spirit helps us. We must know the gospel inside and out. That doesn't mean don't study, don't read. Ugh, you know how I, I get on cases. We need to read. We need to study. We need to be able to defend the faith. We need to know the gospel inside and out. We need to know the Lord so fully that there is an overflow of making Him known to those who are lost. Be bold, church. Be bold. God's Spirit is within you. He will not fail to help you. And He is all the help that you need. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Putting this text together, I just have one more thing to say. Does your church know who you really are? We might not know the the ins and outs of your life, all the goings on, and maybe your personality remains a mystery to the people of this church. But do we know where your heart truly lies? Because we, we assume that everyone's allegiance is with Jesus, steadfastly with Jesus. And is that the case actually, truly, in your heart? Is it true for you? Does the church know who you are? And does the world know who you are? Does the world? Do your neighbors? Do your co-workers? Do your friends and family know who you really are? That you are with Christ? Do they know that you believe that His steadfast love is better than life? Do they know it? Do they know it by the witness of your life and the witness of your words that you belong to Jesus? We do not have to be afraid. God has saved us for the world to come. and He is with us every day of this life. We do not fear the world. We fear God and we're not frightened by a thing because the Holy Spirit is within us to help us and He will not fail to help those who trust in Him. And He is all the help that you and I need. Let's pray. Father, 
Thank you for the, the word of Christ. We thank you for his boldness, even unto death, his obedience, even unto death, even the death of the cross. He has saved us. And we belong to you in him. Father, by your Son, you have poured out the Holy Spirit into our hearts to bring us to life, to give us faith, to give us repentance, and to give us courage. I pray, Father, that as the opposition, the threats of this world increase, I pray that our courage would increase all the more. I pray, Father, that we would not fail to trust in Your Spirit who never fails to help us. And may we be bold in confessing Christ before this world, acknowledging Him. Thank You for the promise that those who acknowledge Jesus will be acknowledged before the angels of God. Your reward awaits us. Keep us faithful until the day of our salvation. We thank you for hearing and answering our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.